Well, hi there, New Life Brisbane. Are we awake? Come on. Are we awake? Hey, why don't you turn to someone and say, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? And here's the second thing I want you to say, someone. Who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? All right, so turn to someone. Well, that was just a check to see whether you're awake. Take the pulse. We're in for a bit of a ride this afternoon. Let me give you a spoiler alert. A bit of bad news is um, I've got more than enough material here this afternoon to get in for about three hours, I reckon. But I know I'm, I'm, reading the, I'm reading the climate out there and you're probably not up for three hours, so I've heard you already and we acknowledge and we'll just ask that the Holy Spirit might do a fresh leading that would narrow down all my preparation into the next, at least the next 30 minutes. How's that sound? All right. Well, hey, look, we've been, we've been on this journey for the last uh, six weeks. Uh, we've been uh, leaning into the book of Ephesians, and we've read up to the end of uh, chapter 3. And today we're going to have a look at uh, chapter 4, verses from verses 1 through to 16. And even those verses normally uh, in other contexts and other settings, uh, I've actually made three messages out of those, those, um, those 16 verses. Uh, we're going to land that into one this afternoon. How's that? That's why we've got three hours worth. You, you're starting to get the picture here. But I thought we might pause for a moment. And uh, as I open up by reading God's word to you, those, uh, those 16 verses from chapter 4, I'd ask that you might just enter into a spirit with me of reflection but openness before God. So let's pray. God, I pray that you might give us a fresh wind here this afternoon. These might be words we've read many times before, or for some of us, this is the first time we've even dared come into church. And now this guy's rattling on around who are we becoming. But I pray that um, as we read these words now together from, from Scripture, that you might give us a fresh revelation. Lord, I pray that I wouldn't get in the road of any of that. It'll be just like making a, a food drop on the doorsteps of this church that we might feast together around as you might speak to us. So God, I, I, I pray that for each one of us there would be words, revelation that would be known in our life maybe for the first time around who we are becoming both individually and as a church together. Lord, speak to us now. We're ready, we're listening, we want to hear from you. This is our heart's desire this afternoon, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, let's read together. We're picking up in uh, chapter 4, and we'll get right in from verse 1. Words should be on the screen in front of you. Um, open up your, uh, your device, your Bible, whatever you've got in front of you, or just have a look on the screen. Let's just share this together. And Paul writes, I therefore... The prisoner in the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. Whoa, that's a big mouthful, isn't it? 
But each of us have been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself captive. He, he gave gifts to his people. And when it says he ascended, what does that actually mean? But that he has also descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is it the same one who has ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were, were that some would be apostles, some would be prophets, some would be evangelists, some would be pastors and some would be teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until all of us come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity to the measure of the full statue of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, blown by every wind of doctrine, by people trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love must grow up in every way into him who is the head in Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament which is equipped and each part is working properly promotes the body's growth in the building itself up in love. This is God's word to us here this afternoon as we might dare to open that together. Hey, let me take you on a journey back in the 80s and now I'm going to really show myself. I just finished university, all right? And some of you can't even think back to the 80s, all right? I know you weren't even born then yet, so you've got this old fella out the front that's talking about the 80s. You didn't sign up for this this afternoon, but just humour me for a moment. Let me just take on a little story. I'd studied environmental science degree and I landed my dream job with the Department of Queensland National Parks and Wildlife, working um, in a place... Um, well, across the state, but I was working on two projects particularly, and one was the Northern Hairy Nose Wombat, and that should come up on your screen. Now, with my scientific background, I need to let you know that the Northern Hairy Nose Wombat is very different to the Southern Hairy Nose Wombat. There's a, there's a chromosome difference in the count, but years ago, the distribution of this species used to go right down into the southern parts of Australia. That's the northern hairy-nosed wombat. It wasn't called the northern nosed hairy-nosed wombat. It was called the Queensland hairy-nosed wombat in those days. The same, same scientific name. But look, I'm boring you, so I'm going to move on. Because it's got nothing to do with the point that I want to actually make. So here I found myself in this dream position, 45 degree heat in the shade, all right? Sleeping during the day, but working with a research scientist on this animal at night. Now, you need to get context here. At that stage, it was thought to be the most rarest endangered mammal in the world, and I get to work on this project. Are you hearing my fun? Only 40, only 40 known animals that were left at this stage. Now, there's something like over 200, but that's still not great to scott about, is it? But here I was. I had many a trip out to, out to central Queensland. It's north... Uh, west of Claremont, I don't know if you know where that is, but it's in central Queensland, that's enough that you need to know. But it takes you a while to get to that country, and when you get there, there's not a lot to get excited about, except these little critters, which only 
walk around at night and we used to watch them by night scope. And so several trips under the bell, I know everything there is to know about Womance. So I'm, I'm leading the way and I get my chance to go back up to this site with a, a different scientist. We had a guest scientist that came in and our usual zoologist that I accompanied wasn't available for this particular trip and we had a visitor that, was, that I was to host. Now, I knew this landscape like the back of my hand, well, I thought anyway. But the story goes a little bit like this. We're out there in the night sky, and in the midst of walking around, checking up on burrows, looking at things on scope, we discovered a new burrow, a new site. That means possibly a new wombat. Could you imagine the excitement? I can see you just wrestling in your seats there with excitement. <laughs> and we got, we, we, we got so excited about this that... We lost all our great bush skills, and I'm sorry to tell you, but I got lost. <laughs> I didn't know where I was. In the middle of the night sky, with the air as clear as it is, the sky as clear as it is with all the stars, I did not have a clue where I'm getting. But I'm not about to tell the scientists this, all right? Because I'm this great guy. I'm, I'm on my first gig alone leading this, this, this world you know, this world study around one of the most rarest in, endangered mammals, but we got lost. My point of reference that I normally had was gone. And it wasn't until after scrambling around the night and passing the same landmark several times, um, those of you who've studied, uh, worked in the Defence Force would know they call it temporarily misplaced, all right? You never get lost in the bush, you get temporarily misplaced. Well, we got misplaced so much so that we start to see the same landmark several times over. But finally, we picked up a reference point that gave me direction and was a fence line that I was familiar with. And I knew that if I followed that fence line, we would get back to where we started. I'm wondering what our reference point is. Where do we draw our source of reference from, both individually and as a church? Now, I've given you the fauna illustration. Because I'm up here, you've just got to run with me. Let, let me just get into botany because it's equally one of my flavours of expertise as well. I don't know if you know this, but a lot of plants actually track the position of the sun. Did you know that? They call it um, heliotropism. All right, you didn't want to know that either, did you? But that's what it's called. So the plant actually tracks as the sun moves and follows that direction. Now, the interesting thing about sunflowers do that, but only when the flowers are immature. And once the heads actually mature, they go back to the easterly direction. Well, in this part of the hemisphere, they do, because uh, the sun rises on the east. They go back to the, the easterly direction, and, then, and they fix their position on the sun, and that's where they stay for the rest of the, the earthly life of that flower. And it got me thinking, and here's my point, I want you to ask this question of yourself. What sun do we actually follow? Where do we draw our source and our energy from? If you like, I'd like to ask you, where do you think our gaze is? Is our gaze um, fixed on Jesus? Or are we distracted and we're following all sorts of other things? as our reference point in our life. Maybe you maybe you've find yourself in a position tonight where you've lost your reference. 
You've never really had a reference around Jesus or God or that. That's just what other people have talked around. Well, tonight we're going we're gonna to spend some time leaning into what would a life look like if we choose to follow Jesus. The first three chapters that we focused on in, um, in the first part of Ephesians gave us the heart and the character of who God is. And now the invitation that we're going to look at here in chapter 4 is around what, it would, what would it be actually like to, to live, to walk the life with a gaze fixed on Jesus. Now, I'm mindful that some of you, as we speak into this, you've been hurt by the church before. Hands, no, don't, don't put your hands up. But I'm going to put my hand up. I've been hurt over and over again by the church. And I'm a Christian minister, pastor of the church, but I've been hurt badly by God's people from time to time. But that doesn't stop us from looking at the way God intended this to be. And that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to have a look at what Paul has to say about that. Now, remember, Paul is writing um, to the church in Ephesus. Um, you know, like he had this mission plant into, you know, the city of Ephesus, and it had been reasonably successful, so much so that he's hung around for about three years, the longest that he ever stayed in one of his church plants, that seen uh, people grow, numbers gather, and be added to on a regular basis, that seen an outbreak of the Holy Spirit, and this church just go to new heights, and in that he had appointed leadership, there were eldership and other leaders a part of that church. And as he left this place, he found himself imprisoned, as we read about, imprisoned for the Lord. And he's reflecting on this and he wants to write into that. And this is what he has to say about how we should act as both followers of Jesus and how we should be God's church, the body of Christ. So if you like chapter 4, and I'm reluctant to use these words because they've been overused in the last 18 months, but if you like, we're about to do a pivot, all right? Can I say that? Is that... It's a bit scary to use those words, but we're about to do this pivot of focusing on what is the character of God and we're going to take what is the heart of God and in that frame we're going to look at what Paul has to say about who we should be as the church. So if you like, well what does the church look like? And I want to pull out four key things that I believe that God would have us to, to feast on this afternoon, you know, as we drop this food drop in here and we open it up here and feast on that, there's four things that I want us to focus on. And you know I've got three hours worth, so I'll be brief and I'll try and keep to those four things, but there is much to talk around. So let's get into it. Let's, let's think about the first thing, and here's the first thing, as I ask the question, what should the church look like? The first hint that Paul gives us is we should be united. There should be unity expressed in who we are. And Paul talks around being um, worthy, if you like, worthy of this calling. And I think it's really good for us to go back to those three chapters, if you like. I'd love to preach on those three chapters because we won't understand what this calling that God's called us, this worthy calling that he's called us into, which the first point is expressed around unity, we will not fully understand that unless we understand around who the heart and the presence of God is. Because that's the calling that we've been called into. And the first expression of that is unity. 
Now, in this verse we, that we read around this, it invited us to think around um, a calling, a, a worthy calling, if you like. And the Greek word that is used uh, for worthing is, is the word um, axios, which sounds familiar because we translate that as being the axle, the heart, the centre of things. And so when we're invited to be part of this calling, this, this worthy calling that God invites us into, Paul is suggesting in the use of this frame of, 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 of a worthy calling, this needs to be the centre point of who we are, if you like. Another way the axis might be is the balance of a scale. It can tip either way, but at that centre point, there's a central axis, and where do we draw our hope and our strength from? It must be from the strength and presence of Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit, as God might download and give to us in this frame. So when we talk around the first point, or the frame around this as being um, unity, we can't help but think that unity needs to be focused around those first three chapters. Now, let me just remind you about what we said about or what we learned about the heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus, and the work and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. What do we learn about that? We learned in first chapter where we need to praise God who blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That was what we, we, we remember. We're chosen by a Father, redeemed by the Son, and we're sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's also what we know. So that's going to speak into this unity thing. We're chosen, we're heirs of his inheritance. We're children of the Most High, the Most High God. We're dead, but we've been made spiritually alive again. This is what we know. We have a new life, alive in Christ. We are one people, one people of God. And remember that week when Adam came and spoke into it, we we learn about what is the mystery, the mystery which was being revealed to us, and, and the revelation was we are all God's people. There's no separation between the Jew or the Gentile. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And then last week, uh, Lauren was leading us into this amazing, powerful message around the power and presence of what the Holy Spirit brings to us through the power and the vehicle of prayer. So when we talk about unity, we're not talking about an earthly thing, all right? This is not something we need to do. This is out of our response in relationship with God. It is God that will bring unity in our midst if that becomes our gaze and if that becomes our focus. Now, I want to speak into this a little bit more and just take us on a very slight diversion, but I cannot be, help but be reminded of the way God created it be. And if we go back into the poetic writings that we read in, 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 in Genesis, we read the frame around God creating all things. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, God created them, both male and female, he created them. Can you see that there's a sense in which we've been created in the image of God? And the unity that we're starting to think into in this space, if their source comes from God, it's the way God created us to be in relationship with him. This is, the, this is not something earthly that we get excited about in the sense that we've got to do a whole lot of hard work to build the unity. If we sit ourselves in the presence and the heart of God 
God calls us into this spirit of unity together, if you like, a spirit of relationship. And I want to take that a little bit further and I'm reminded of one of Paul's writings to the church in Colossae and we'll bring it up in Colossians 1.20 and he says, Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's God's desire that we should participate in his act of reconciliation of all things. So this unity is the way that God created it to be, for us to be in relationship with him, but not just only with God, but with all things, as Paul writes. And I cannot help but be reminded that topical this week is, as a nation, we've paused and we acknowledge what we call our National Reconciliation Week, which began on Thursday. We pause as a nation... And we take time to truth tell the horrible history of our first peoples of this nation. There's not a lot for us not to be shamed about. In fact, there's so much that we should be shamed about in that horrible history. And whether you've actively participated in yourself, that's probably not your story... We still live in a climate today of this generational racism, if you like, that is part of our nation. And we've seen outbursts of of people's response to that, the Black Lives Matters campaign and so on. And we are still writing a horrible history. In fact, I know that in the youth detention centre circles, something like um, 10.9, there's a 10... 0.9 0.9 chance of someone who might identify as being Aboriginal or Torres Strait, Strait Island finding themselves incarcerated um, into the youth justice system than someone who's not. So you can't tell me that there is not a climate or a spirit that doesn't need to be reconciled across this nation. Now Paul wasn't only talking about our relationship with each other, but he was also speaking into this about a relationship that, that we have with all things and so our responsibility to the environment. What's our contribution there? Is that something that we even rank as being a Christian or a follower of Jesus? Well, we don't have a choice about this, folks. God, God, God created us to be in the unity with all things, to be a reconciled people not just with each other, not just with him as creator God, but with all things. This is not optional for us. This is part of who we are. And I don't know if that challenges you, but it incredibly challenges me. What's my part in this? What will be my response? The second thing that I believe that that, that God would want for us and, and as we read these words of, of Paul, as he might speak into us, you know, what, what would church look like? What would, if we did a report card on, our, on what a church should look like, what do you think that would be? Well, the first thing is we should see unity, reconcile with all things. But the second thing that I want to suggest is we should experience community. Community. 
the Greek word that is used for community um, in the Bible, or one of the Greek words that's used for that, is the word koinonia. And um, koinonia or koinonia, depends what Greek school you've come from. Um, but anyway, the framing of that we often lose in our understanding of what we might have experienced community about, and it is just so much more than that. It's God's desire that we would live in a frame around community. Um, in fact, another way of translating it is, is, is the word partnership. And if you understand the legal responsibility of any partnership, it's about like it's a non-negotiable relationship, if you like. So to be in community with each other is non-negotiable, if you like. We have a responsibility to each other and to this earth, and that's what communities do. But Paul gives us a little bit of a, um, a heads up around what this might look like. And I want, to, I want us to think a little bit around uh, four things that I want to call out around well, what would community look like if we did it really well. And the first thing he talks around is that we need to be completely humble. We need to be humble. Or I guess what you'd get, you would get to see is humility. Now, humility is not a word, in, in the culture of what Paul is writing to, humility is not a word that's even in their vocab. In fact, they had to develop a word for it to write this message. Because humility was seen as being something of weakness. And so much so that in, 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 in the Roman culture that we're writing into, there was no, there was no word for what it meant out to, to live humility. I'm reminded of um, a quote from, C from C.S. Lewis, and he talks around, humility is not actually thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. What does it mean to lower yourself? Part of living in community is we would take our centre our, our center of our focus away from self so that people might see in us a focus that is on Jesus. That's what it means to have the absolute act of humility in a Christian community, is not be the centre of attention of all things, but actually put God at the centre of those things, to humble ourselves before God, that others might not look to us, but they would find Jesus in all that we'd be part of. The second thing that, that Paul talks around what community might look like is around um, what he calls gentleness or meekness. If you like, it's, it's inviting us into a God-controlled environment where we're not hastened to react or act in ways that are not nice, if you like, but we, we are act in the gentleness of what it means to respond in faith to God. Have you ever met someone who has this incredibly gentle spirit? Is that not infectious? I can think of um, a few people in my life, but one of the ones that comes to mind is my, um, my late grandma, Eva Tainton. She had this amazing quick wit about her that loved her with a glint in her eyes. She would say what she needed to say but she would leave this spirit of gentleness all over her that would just impact your life. You just felt loved on by this lady in amazing ways. And this is what Paul is suggesting. If, if we engage and make our focus around community, we should have a bit of gentleness in that. We need to lose our harshness. 
Now, I know some of you get fired up and stirred up about lots of things that are really important, and we're not saying don't, let's not run away from that, but the way that you might deliver that and the way people might respond in this spirit of community needs to be done with meekness. Meekness is not weakness, if you can excuse the pun. The third thing Paul talks around is uh, patience. And I I was just looking at different translations or ways of which I could unpack that for you. And I I love this bit where it said that um, really the real essence of patience is about long-suffering, being patient, not retaliating against others. I'm going to give you a little confession. There are some people, I'm not talking about this church, all right, so just, just don't hear me say that. There are people in the church that really annoy me. <laughs> and I find at times that it is, it is more suffering than not, if you like, to put up with their presence. I know you're surprised to hear me say that. But you, if, if you're really honest, I'm, please don't look at someone beside you when you're responding to what I'm about to say to you, but... There are some pretty annoying people out there, aren't there? And some of them are even in the church. Maybe they're even in this church. Well, I'm not going to go there, but you're getting my drift. And Paul says that if we're about to engage in community, as long-suffering as it might be, we are to have patience with each other. I've got an example of that. If we go to um, one of the records of this, of this question, in uh, Matthew chapter 18, Peter came to Jesus and he thought he'd put him to test and he said, hey, Jesus, there's this guy in my small group that I just really can't stand. Well, he didn't say small group, but he said something to that effect. But he said, there's someone that really gets on my goat at work. How many times do I actually have to forgive them? Would it be seven times? And you know the rest of the bit, if you've heard this story before. Jesus said to him, I say not to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Patience. You're feeling a little bit challenged? I, I am already, because that's a bit of a stark reminder when I hear about that. Because immediately while I'm talking to you, I can think of some people that are really getting on my case right now. Not in this church, mind you, but in other circles. <laughs> Um, I'm going to come forward for prayer later on, that God might take that from me. But finally, um, Paul lands this a little bit further, and he says, if we look at community, we should actually see that it's love bearing love to one another. And we're talking about a love here that has a, a sense that it just passes all understanding. It, be, it, it blows every reason or logic we have. It is just selfless love that continues to, to love on and give on and love on. The scripture talks around it as being, you know, the Greek word is agape love. What does it mean to actually love on people in that one? This is God's love. Remember, this is not something we're going off to, to um, um, a body school around or church school around, we're learning how to do all these things. This is something that comes to us by sitting in the heart and the presence of God. And our desire this afternoon is that we would come into God's presence and we would ask that God might reveal to us what it really means to show humility, to be gentle, to be patient, 
and express and pass on what is God's love. And Paul goes on a bit further and he says, we'll see this by keeping unity through the bond of peace, a peace which is not in our own strength, but a peace that can only come from God, which passes all understanding, heart and mind. So one commentator wraps up this bit around, um, around well, what does it look like to lean out and, and to, to step into this presence of God that would be experienced in the community that we're a part of, And this is what he said. He said, we must renounce, if we're going to live out this way of community, we must renounce our self-centeredness in order to walk in humility. We must renounce our harshness to walk in gentleness. And we must renounce the tyranny of our own agendas to walk with patience. We must renounce our idealistic expectations to walk in suffering love. And we must renounce indifference and passivity in order to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And if we read on, let's, let's, let's just pick up in verse 4. Paul, Paul actually talks around a model that we get from this in the way that God, God presents himself to us, if you like. So let me just, let's just read for a moment from verse 4 where he says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to have one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And that would be a sermon in its own right if we wanted to go there. But the, at the heart of what Paul is saying here is, when we sit in the presence of God, God reveals himself in three persons, but they're one. God the Father, the Son which God gave up, who came and dwelt in its natural state here on earth that would be fully human, live a fully human life, but without sin would actually take our place for us and rise again above the power of sin and death to once again be, be united there with the Father. But the story didn't end there. The Holy Spirit was given to us, the paraclete, this, this friend. And God presents himself to us with the Holy Spirit that goes before us, is in all things, breathing in all things, forming all things. We are not left alone in this. This is who we are. And God, even God himself presents to us this image of of what it means to be three, three persons, but one. This is the unity that we're called into. This is a community that we're a part of. The third thing that... I said there was four, so we're up to three. That's good, isn't it? We're tracking all right. What's the time, Bruce? Yeah, we're doing all right. Um, I am going to land this one pretty quick for you, but I want to talk to you a little bit about what God gives to us. And let's, let's just pick it up um, in verse 7. He says, But each one of us has been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captive itself a captive. He gave gifts to people. And when it says ascended, what does it mean? That he also descended in the lower parts of the earth. He also ascended in the same one who ascended above all heavens. God gives to us gifts. Now, the cult, this is really countercultural, incredibly countercultural, because the time in which this was written, when something great had happened, 
When something great had happened, normally you would go and honour the king with gifts. But there's something radical about living in the community of God, which we call the church, and that is that God gives to us gifts. But they're gifts for service. And so that's the third thing that I want to just very quickly land for you is that we're actually called to serve. And to that, God gives us his gifts. If we just jump ahead a little bit, Elijah, to, um, to uh, slide 23, where I want to read, continue reading for you what the scripture says here around verse 11. He says, The gifts were that he gave was some would be apostles, some would be prophets, some would be evangelists, some would be pastors for the building, um, for the equipping, uh, some would be teachers, sorry, to equip the saints for the ministry for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to unity of faith and of the knowledge in the Son of God to maturity, to measure of the full statue of Christ. Whoa. Gifts. Now, here's, um, often we talk around these being fivefold uh, gifts of ministry, if you like. There's all sorts of understanding around this. We're not go- we're, once again, there's another sermon or two or even a whole Bible study series just around gifts. And it's not the only part of Scripture that, that, um, that we read um, the expression of what God gives to us. In fact, some would say there's up to 27 different spiritual gifts that are acknowledged in the Scripture of which these five, if you like, have been named. Apostolic, what does that mean? Well, it simply means to be sent. So what we're saying, for the church to thrive, for us as the body of Christ to thrive, if you like, we should be sent. We should be living out what it means to be a sent people, if you like. That There should be an apostolic presence of who we are. What does it actually mean to be sent into this community in Brisbane? That's part of our apostolic ministry. But it doesn't just rest there. Um, Paul talks around the prophetic also being expressed. If you like, uh, the prophetic is actually speaking into, telling it like it is, warning us what it means to stay on track with God. It's not fortune-telling, but it's foretelling around what God might be saying to us as his people. I'm wondering what he's saying to us here this afternoon around what it means to live out his presence in the city in a prophetic way. What is our prophetic voice? What's the edge that we might have to who we are? In order for a community to thrive, we should see not only the apostolic, but we should see the the prophetic at work. This is what it means to give these gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. We should see evangelism, evangelistic, that means we don't become contained within, only, not only inward-looking, but we go and tell the good news that is ours in the gospel of Jesus. More people, more like Jesus. Funny that. We've got that in our, our little mantra of who we are, our common purpose of who we are as a church. But what does it really mean to equip you to live that out wherever God might call you to be, is the question. And then we hear about being a pastor. You know, the shepherd, what does it mean to look after each other, the pastor? There's, a, there's like a pastoral title in that, a ministry of that, but some of us also have a shepherding task, a pastoral task that we might offer maybe to our small group 
or maybe in the context of who you are at work, people know that you are someone that is always looking out for others as you administer the presence of Christ, even in your workplace. And then finally, the other one that Paul talks around is, is, is this, this gift of what it means to teach, to actually feed the sheep with some sort of systematic instruction, if you like, if we could get that technical. What does it mean to systematically actually speak into this, teach into that, to what God might be saying to us? Remembering that all these things are, if we go to the next slide, are about us thriving. That the people in the church, in the community, the communities that we're part of, would thrive. But what we don't have time for is we're not just limited to this five. We could go on. There are other ministries. There's a ministry of hospitality. There's a ministry of wisdom. There's a ministry of discernment. The, the list goes on, all 27 of them. But this afternoon, here's five things that Paul's calling out that we should see as being part of the ministry of who we are as a church. And you have to ask a serious question around, are we seeing all those things evident right now? Because if they're not, this is not just up for our, our, our pastor, our lead pastor, or someone to determine for us. In, in fact, this, this message is around God will release these gifts according to, to our need, and we should expect to see these being released within our midst. And some of you will be called in these different places. The calling is for us all. It's not just for a, a paid or selected few. This is what it means to be called to... Um, a worthy calling to actually sit in the presence of God, in the presence of his Holy Spirit, under his authority, what it actually means to claim that space together. And finally, the, the fourth thing that I believe that, that, that God calls us into is a maturity of who we might be as church. And we pick this up in the last, in the last um, few verses of, of what we read in verse 14. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro, blown around like every wind and doctrine by people trickery. But by speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ, from, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament which is equipped in each part, working properly, promoting the body the body's growth in building itself up in love. God calls us to continue to grow and mature in our faith together. It's no accident that we believe that the revelation God has for us as a church is that, that bold question that starts at the beginning of our service, who are we becoming? Who's God growing you to do? Who is he calling you into you? Um, one of the, the writers and scholars, he's actually a, a, quite a dear friend of mine, a guy called Neil, Neil Cole, who's been part of what we call the Organic Church Network, writes into this and he says, ultimately, each church will be evaluated on one thing. It's disciples. Where's our guys? Where's our focus? What are we doing with those gifts that God is just wanting to release within our midst? Maybe some of you this afternoon are just hanging on because you've been hurt by the church before and you've got this, this, this whole list of things of the reasons why you would not trust that environment again. I'm just going to, um, with the fear of just going a little bit further and, and over, I have to tell you a 
a personal story because I think it will land it for you and help you understand what I think the heart of God is this afternoon. Earlier this year, um, and my wife Kathy is here with me, so I'm not talking out of tune, and I did check that I could share this with her, so um, with you today, but uh, we faced the news that she um, found out that she's diagnosed with breast cancer. And that journey ain't over yet. And we're in the midst of treatment at the moment, and it's easy for me to say all that, but what I want to tell you is about my journey in that. I've got this incredibly big chip on my shoulder at the moment with God around why us? Why this situation? Why doesn't he just heal us where people of faith, we've lived our life by faith? It is getting in the road of God's gifting and releasing in what he's called me to be. I'm wondering what's getting in the road of, of what God is calling us to be as church, but more than that, what's, he get, what's getting in the road of you being called and living out the very calling, a, a worthy calling that God's placed on your life, and our reference point, our gaze, if you like, where that sunflower needs to rest and focus, its focus needs to be on the sun himself. And so it... it it's my prayer this afternoon that we would, we would find ourselves on our knees. I'm, I'll be reluctant to do what Lauren got you to do last week again, but I'm feeling like we have to do that again. We have to actually begin the rest of this time this afternoon on our knees again and say, Search me, O God. Search me, O God. We've got some chips on our shoulders that are getting in the road of God's gifting and his calling for us as his people. So can I invite you, just for a moment, and, and, and worship team, can you come in and join us? And I'm pretty well landing now, Elijah, if you're wondering where the heck Bruce is going with all the stuff that he's got left. But I'm thinking that it's really simple from here, and yet it's so hard. And I don't know, whatever you find comfortable, whether it's on your knees or whether it's just putting your hands out as an act of surrender, can I invite you to do that right now? And let, let's just ask God what God wants to say to us right now in this act of surrendering before him. I wonder what, what would it take to put everything aside and just pursue God right now. Lord, here I am, your servant. None of us profess to have this stuff sorted. And yet you call us to be a community that is different to everything else that people have ever experienced before. A community that removes fear and pride, a community that is called to be united and get along with each other, and even to put up with the people that get on our case. But most of all, God, you call us to, to put our heart and our focus, our gaze on you. So can I invite you to center yourself now in the heart of what you know who our God is. The one who, who, who calls you by name as his child. The one that promised you 
promises to you an inheritance of everything that is His is yours. The one that says that even if you think what you've done or where you've been or what's been done to you is so great that it's just a mountain that you cannot climb, Paul writes into that in his his letter to the church where he says, there is nothing that can separate you from my love. Neither death, nor life, nor principalities, anything that might have been done to you, there is nothing, nothing in the whole of creation that can separate you from the love that God is inviting you into right now. We're going to um, sing a song in the background, but I don't want you to get up and raise hands. I want you to keep in the atmosphere of, of um, reflection and centering yourself in the presence of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a fresh wind here this afternoon. A fragrance from heaven. And Father, I pray that you would pour your Spirit out. Lord, I pray that that you would... um, Pour on us a holy anointing that is powered only by your presence. Jesus, pour your spirit out. God, just come and and, and minister to us right now. That we might prophesy, that we might sing, that we might foretell your message for this community. That we would see lives change and added unto as part of the way that we might experience church. And more than that, God, that we would be part of something far greater that builds each other up as the community of saints that would see this world reconciled by you. Lord, have your way with us right now. Thank you. 
get this image at the moment that, that God's face has got this big grin as, as he might shine it upon us right now. God desires and, and gets great pleasure out of his children surrendering them, themselves in his presence. Look, I'm conscious that there'll be um, some of you that will need to go very shortly. Maybe some of you need to even go and get your children um, fairly quickly. But I want to invite you to continue um, just for a few moments yet in this atmosphere of prayer as we would, um, as a church, actively surrender ourselves together before God. I'm really praying that God's going to give us a real strong anointing for this city. But we're only going to see that happen when you're open enough to surrender yourself before God so that his gifts might be released in you. Um, there'll be a few people that will be over here that will be just love to, to come and pray more into this with you. So um, in, in invite some of those people to just come and do that now as you might like to respond to this. But please don't, don't leave this afternoon without surrendering yourself in this way and asking that God would give you a knowledge from heaven that would really connect with the purpose of who we're created to be, both as a church, but also our part in that, in the gifts that God might be releasing in you right now. So let's pray. God, I pray that that your Holy Spirit would come and, and, and give revelation to us right now. We want to hear from heaven, God. And as we've laid things before you right now, Jesus, with that act of surrendering before you, we say, Lord, come and teach us what it means to, to love, to walk with humility, to be gentle in our spirit, to speak out truth, dare to speak into our city around things that need to be named and, and spoken around or maybe even in our own life to speak and, and, and to surrender that before you what does it mean to be a people transformed, reconciled by you as an active part of your reconciliation to all things God speak to us in your spirit right now a holy anointing we want to hear from heaven and we want to be transformed by you. Maybe you'd like specific prayer and uh, if, if that is your what you really feel God's prompting you about, then can I invite you to just come and, and pray with some of our prayer leaders or around those things. We're just going to sing one more time just the, the tag and the refrain from, from this song, and then I'm going to um, provide to us a, a blessing and a benediction that will send us out. But some of you might just want to linger for some time yet and just dwell in the presence of God, and that's okay too. So let's... Um, Let's respond again together as we might sing and then let me offer a blessing.